This morning we continue our series in 2 Samuel, so we will begin to read at 2 Samuel chapter 20. This morning, 2 Samuel chapter 20. And if we're reading from a pew Bible this morning, we'll find that on page 326. 326 in our pew Bibles. And 2 Samuel chapter 20 this morning. This is God's word to us. Now a troublemaker named Sheba, son of Berkah, a Benjaminite, happened to be there. He sounded the trumpet and shouted, We have no share in David, no part in Jesse's son, every man to his tent, O Israel. So all the men of Israel deserted David to follow Sheba, the son of Berkah, and the men of Judah stayed by the king all the way from the Jordan to Jerusalem. And when David returned to his palace in Jerusalem, he took the ten concubines he had left to the care of the palace, and he put them in a house under guard. He provided for them, but he did not lie with them. They were kept in confinement till the day of their death, living as widows. And then the king said to Amasa, summon the men of Judah to come to me within three days and be here yourself. But when Amasa went to summon Judah, he took longer than the time the king had set for him. And David said to Abishai, Now Sheba, son of Berkah, will do to us more harm than Absalom did. Take your master's men and pursue him, or he will find fortified cities and escape from us. So Joab's men, with the Kerthites and the Pelethites and all the mighty warriors, went out under the command of Abishai. And they marched out from Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, the son of Berkah. And while they were at the great rock in Gibeon, Amasa came to meet with, jo- meet with them. And Joab was wearing his military tunic, and strapped over it at his waist was a belt with a dagger in its sheath. And as he stepped forward, it dropped out of its sheath. Joab said to Amasa, How are you, my brother? And then Joab took Amasa by the beard and with his right hand to kiss him. Amasa was not on his guard against the dagger in Joab's hand, and Joab plunged it into his belly, and his intestines spilled out on the ground. Without being stabbed again, Amasa died. And then Joab and his brother Abishai pursued Sheba, son of Berkah. And one of Joab's men stood beside Amasa and said, Whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, let him follow Joab. Amasa lay wallowing in his blood in the middle of the road. And the man saw that all the troops came to halt there. And when he realized that everyone who came up to Amasa stopped, he dragged him from the road into a field and threw a garment over him. And after Amasa had been removed from the road, all the men went on with Joab to pursue Sheba, the son of Berkah. And Sheba passed through all the tribes of Israel to Abel, Beth, Maka, and through the entire region of the Berites, who gathered together and followed him. And all the troops with Joab came and besieged Sheba in Abel, Beth, Mecca. They built a siege ramp up to the city, and it stood against the outer fortresses, fortifications. And while they were battering down the wall to bring it down, a wise woman called from the city, Listen, listen, tell Joab to come here so that I can speak to him. He went toward her, and she asked, Are you Joab? I am, he answered. And she said, Listen to what your servant has to say. I'm listening, he said. She continued, long ago they used to say, get your servant at Abel, and that settled it. We are the peaceful and faithful Israel, 
you're trying to destroy a city that is a mother in Israel. Why do, you, why do you want to swallow up the Lord's inheritance? Far be it from me, Joab replied. Far be it from me to swallow up or to destroy. That is not the case. A man named Sheba, son of Berkra, from the hill country of Ephraim, has lifted up his hand against the king, against David. Hand over this one man, and I'll withdraw from the city." The woman said to Joab, his head will be thrown to you from the wall. Then the woman went to the people with her her wise advice, and they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Berkra, and threw it to Joab. He sounded the trumpet, and his men disappeared from the city, each returning to his home. And Joab went back to the king in Jerusalem. Joab was over Israel's entire army. Benaiah, son of Jehoaphat, was over the Carathites and the Palathites. Adroniram was in charge of forced labor. Jehoshaphat, son of Alud, was recorder. Shiva, the sagittary. Zadok and Abathar were priests. And Ara, the Jarathite, was David's priest. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us. Well, this morning as we come to this passage, please do keep it open with me. 2 Samuel chapter 20. I'm sure as we made our way through the reading, you're wondering to yourself, where are we going with this today? What, what are we going to see? And it's this simple idea this morning that we want to focus on. If you're a Christian here today, God's kingdom will stand forever, and you are part of it. If you are a Christian here today, God's kingdom will stand forever, and you are part of it. It's something that we need to hear over and over and over again. God builds his kingdom. And as Christian people, we will be part of it. You are part of it. And nothing can change that. Come with me to 2014. It's November in 2014. It's a Friday night, or 2004, sorry. It's a Friday night. That means one thing for me. Vinnie Cash Youth Club. I've had a hard week at school, as most 12-year-olds do, and we think it's very difficult at that stage of our life. Our homeworks are all finished. It's a Friday evening. I have my weekly bowl of Friday dinner, which is chicken vegetable soup in our house during winter. I'm set up, raring to go for the biggest night in my week. What's the biggest night? Friday night lights at Vinnie Cash, getting to play football with all the boys out in the car park. It's something that dominated my life at that early stage. You would talk about it all week with the boys in school. Whose team would we be in this week? We really wanted to be in this certain guy's team because he was bigger and better than everybody else. And we'd try and work it out. How could we be in his team? So you'd pay in. You'd rush outside to get to see him first. And you'd saddle up to him and sort of, you know, wink at him as a 12-year-old who was vastly overweight, hoping that I could be in his team, the best footballer, and saying to him, look, you'll pick me tonight. Yes, I'll pick you. Relief. The deal done. The call comes to stand against the hedge at Vinnie Cash Car Park, and we'd all line up, all the renegades against the hedge, and the two best footballers would get to pick all of us out. But you're at it done. The deal was sorted. One by one, someone would pick. Soon you realize that there's less and less guys standing against the hedge. This might not work out gets down to the last few. No one wants to be the last man picked. 
So what do the leaders do to save your embarrassment? They kind of divide it up, don't they? Well, if you two boys go over to this side and you two boys go over to this side and keep it fair, and you realize, I'm not in the best player's team anymore. The plan didn't work out. He didn't pick me. He excluded me. He rejected me. He didn't pick me. He said he would. Where did it all go wrong? Probably eating too many school dinners is where it all went wrong. But we know this experience, don't we? We've been here before. That, that feeling of disappointment at the last moment, the feeling of being unworthy, a feeling of exclusion, that crushing feeling of rejection. And there's some of us here this morning, and we take that experience of what it's like to have a game of football, a kickabout in a car park, that feeling of rejection. And what we do is we start to apply that into our spiritual life. And we think that God and his kingdom and our salvation will some way map onto that human experience. And we start to doubt who we are. We start to doubt our very part of God's kingdom. We feel like we may be excluded. Perhaps we rely on a little plan that we've hatched hoping that we've worked up enough favor with God. Perhaps there's something inside of us this morning, and I have no doubt that for some of us here, you're telling yourself that you are not worthy, that you have a fear of being excluded from God's kingdom. Perhaps you're spiritually anxious because you fear you will be rejected, even though you know that you trust in Him. So in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our fear of being rejected, what do we need to hear this morning? We need to hear the good news of the gospel, the beautiful oil of the gospel that ministers to us, that if we have realized that we are a sinner, if we have bowed before Jesus, if we have pleaded to him for forgiveness, if we've put our trust in our Savior, if we've made him king of our life, then we need to know that it's not about our little plans but it's all about what he has done for us. We cannot place hope in the favor that we have worked up because that doesn't even come close to making up for all of our wrongs. And if inside some of us today you're telling yourself that you are not worthy, we are worthy because God views us through his son. He views us in light of King Jesus. So know this, each of us know this, wherever we are in our Christian walk this morning, if you're a believer, know this, God's kingdom will stand forever and you are part of it. In 2 Samuel 20, it is a desperate time here in Israel's history. We've been working through the the book of 2 Samuel and we can see it chapter after chapter after chapter, sin upon sin upon sin. And we know that King David, we know that King David is not the king that the people need. We know for us that that earthly kings are not the kings that we need, but we need King Jesus in our hearts. We need him to rule over our lives. So in the midst of chapter 20, what's going on? We have a kingdom being split by this guy called Sheba. There's a coup. There's sexual exploits. There's murder. There's a siege going on. And we scratch our heads and we think to ourselves, what is happening? Sheba trying to take over the kingdom. Joab, he's trying to assert his control over the kingdom. David, well, David's doing very little. Turn with me in our Bibles back a few pages to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 
Because 2 Samuel chapter 7 this morning helps us to frame exactly what is going on here in chapter 20. 2 Samuel chapter 7. And this is the promise that God had brought to David. 2 Samuel chapter 7 and halfway through verse 11. 2 Samuel chapter 7 and halfway through verse 11. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will rise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be his father, and he will be my son. And when he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him. As I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. God's promise. God's promise to David frames this whole whole section of our text because the Bible's message is this. God has promised to establish his kingdom forever and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So in the destruction of sin, in the mess that man is creating here in chapter 20, and all that's going wrong, God is still establishing his kingdom, and God is remaining faithful to his promises. Chapter 7, verse 12. God's offspring will, or sorry, David's offspring will succeed him in his own flesh and blood. His kingdom will be established. Verse 13, he will build a house for the Lord. Verse 13, his throne will endure forever. Verse 14, God will be his father. Verse 15, God's love will never be taken away from him. Verse 16, his kingdom will endure forever. David's throne established. So from the line of David will come King Jesus, Christ the King, whose throne will endure forever, whose kingdom will be established. God faithful to his promises. God establishing his kingdom. So the truth from 2 Samuel is crucial for us today to see who our God is. Do you think God is powerless this morning in the midst of sin, in the midst of your sin, in the midst of the sin of this town, in the midst of the sin of this church? Do you think that God is powerless? How small are we making our God? The king is governing Do you think God has forgotten Israel? Do you think God today has forgotten his church? God is faithful to his bride. He cares for her. We are evidence of it here in Hill Street. The king is guarding. And do you think the church is dying across the world? Well, the church is more alive now than ever, and its reach is continually expanding. The kingdom is growing. So King Jesus is on the throne. The kingdom is growing. The king is guarding. The king is governing. governing. But how we see, how we see how David fails, how everyone else in this passage fails, but when we see our God, when we see who he is and his faithfulness and what he is doing, that he is governing, guarding, and growing us, then our hearts are stirred in love for him. Well, back into 2 Samuel chapter 20, David, the absent king, 
That's our first point. David, the absent king, he doesn't speak. And on the flip side of David's absence, our king is governing. Our king is governing. Just before our passage in chapter 19, what happens is there starts to be a bit of a, a verbal exchange between the men of Israel and between the men of Judah. And they start saying, look, why should we follow David? Why should we follow him? And we see it there in verse 41. Soon all the men of Israel were coming to the king and saying to him, why did our brothers, the men of Judah, steal the king away and bring him? And so on. And in the middle of this slinging match between Judah and between the rest of the tribes of Israel, King David is totally absent. He does not speak. He does not step in. And it's, it's kind of like us as, as adults. We're able to see children who are trying to share toys getting increasingly agitated, aren't we? You can see how they start to try to share and how their words then begin to change as their attitude changes. I want that toy. You can't have it. They start to become more physically violent. And if we don't step in, we know that it's going to end in tears. Here, King David does not step in. He sits back. And in the midst of his absence, in the midst of him just letting things continue, rebellion raises its head once again in the form of Sheba. And then David's absence is also clear, uh, and we see it in verse 3. David returns to his palace in Jerusalem. He took ten concubines that he had left to the care of the palace and put them in, house under guard, put them in a house under guard. Here, these concubines that David had left and Absalom had taken and slept with. Now because of David's absence, because of his lack of protection, these ten concubines are put under house guard. They're kept in confinement, a mark of judgment, a closing off, a prevention from marriage. David is a far cry from our King Jesus. He's absent. He does not rule. He does not control. But our governing king, our governing king is totally different. Instead of being absent, he made himself present with us, didn't he? He left heaven and became like us so that he could walk on our road of suffering so that he could identify with where you are today so that we could not turn around and say to him, Jesus, you are absent. But rather we can be sure that he is with us. Instead of leaving us for the enemy to have his way with us, what does Jesus do? He comes and he crushed the head of our enemy and he bound him in chains. He didn't leave us to the ways of our enemies. He protects his people. And instead of leaving us to guard the kingdom alone, what does he do? He gives us the power of the Holy Spirit inside each one of us. Instead of leaving his bride, the church, Christ comes from heaven He came from heaven. He sought his bride. He went after her. He wooed her. He called her. And he prepared a feast for her. David may have been an absent king, but King Jesus is not just on the sidelines. He's right here with us. Our shepherd, our brother, our king. And he governs. Today, whatever it is that you face, know this, that King Jesus has not just left you. Whatever it is that you are struggling with, whatever it is that wrestles, that you're wrestling with in your mind over and over again, that you're pleading with Jesus, help me in this. Don't leave me in this. Give me a way forward. 
Help me to overcome that sin. Help me in that relationship. Help me in this crisis. Jesus isn't absent. He rules. He is governing. Trust him. You can know that he is with you. David's the absent king. Will end Sheba. Sheba, he's the self-appointed king. Sheba is the self-appointed king. And on the flip side of that, our king is guarding. Sheba here, he's a troublemaker. Chapter 20 and verse 1, he's described as a troublemaker. This son of Bekri is, or Bekri is uh, translated as the son of wickedness, the son of death, and it's emphasized again and again in our passage. Here Sheba wants to control, he wants to take over. And his call is this, his, his, his rally call to the rebels. In verse 1 we see it. We have no future with David. Back me instead. We have no inheritance with David. Every man go to his own tent. Don't follow David. He'll get us nowhere. It doesn't take much imagination for us to be able to translate this rebel message here, does it? The rally call of the rebel today against King Jesus is virtually unchanged. You have no future with him. You need to live for now. Every man go to your own home. Following Jesus won't get you anywhere. And the worrying thing is this morning that some people here in this very meeting are in a state of rebellion just like Sheba, turning against God's king. And maybe this morning you actively haven't stood up and said to walk away from God, but you are actively following like the tribes of Israel. Or perhaps for some of us here this morning, you're stood in the middle and you look to and fro from one kingdom to the other. You look at David. You look at King Jesus. You look to Sheba. You look to the ways of this world. And you're not sure what way you're going to go. And we're listening to this message of rebellion. Follow the world. And maybe even you're testing it out. You're running into the enemy's camp and coming back again. Maybe you stand with the king's people on a Sunday here in this place. But the rest of the week, you find yourself in the enemy's camp. Well, what happens to the rebel in verse 22? His head is cut off. The one who brings rebellion in the garden, right back in Genesis, is told that his head will be crushed. Abimelech in Judges 9, the rebel has his head crushed. Sheba here, the rebel, loses his head. What awaits us if we remain in rebellion to the king? We know that we will face punishment, that we will face a separation from God. But this morning, our plea is this. Come under the protection of our guarding king. Jesus here does not stand and just let you go into the ways of your rebellion. David stood back and he let the kingdom go after Sheba. 
What has Jesus said to us this morning? He says, look at me, keep looking at me, keep walking with me. I have given you my Holy Spirit. I will not let you go. You're in my hand. No one will be able to snatch you out. Things of this world may be strong upon your heart, but look at me. Walk with me. Read my word. Sit under my word. Sit under the means of grace, and I will grow my love in you, that you will love me more. Don't follow the ways of the world. Jesus this morning calls us back. Don't rebel from me, but rather come into my kingdom. We see Joab then in this passage. Joab's the know-it-all. The kingdom is growing. Joab, the know-it-all, the kingdom is growing. Joab's a man who just can't cope with other people's ideas or other people's ways. He always has to have his own. King David will say something. Joab, he'll know a better way. So what does he do here? He, he strikes out. He grabs his own cousin, cousin by the beard, and he kills him. We see this in our own hearts, don't we? Jesus says one thing, but we know best. We know better. Jesus' words tell us that marriage is between one man and one woman. But, but somehow we think that we know better. The king's, word tell us, the king's words tell us that we must guard our tongue against gossip. But we'll share this story about a person just this time because we know better. The king's words tells us that we are to live as servants. But that doesn't really mean that we have to sacrifice our time, does it? That doesn't really mean we have to do outreach. That doesn't really mean that we have to tell that colleague and work about Jesus, does it? The king's words tell us to be holy, but that's only for super Christians, isn't it? I'll try and honor him next week or next month or next year. And we change God's word all the time. The king speaks, and we are not to run his words through our like or not like filter and then decide what we will accept and not accept. Rather, he speaks, and we are to follow him. The wickedness of Joab, the darkness of his sin, it's all visualized here in verse 12. We see it. This body is lying in the middle of the road, and it's dragged over into a field, and there's a covering put over it. We try to do that all the time, don't we? an obvious sin in our Christian walk. Let's drag it off the road so no one else can see it. Let's pull it over here. Let's cover it so no one else can see it. Friends, what do we try to hide this morning from the king? We shouldn't be like Joab. Joab is a hindrance to the king and his kingdom. He tries to do things his way and not the king's way. Our call this morning is to not do that, is rather to align ourselves with the king's words and honor him so that we can, in closing and in finally, be like these people that we find in this city of peace, this city of faithfulness in verse 19. This is the alternative in chapter 20. Here's a mini kingdom of peace and faithfulness. It's the inheritance of the Lord's, and from its walls comes wisdom and life for its inhabitants. It brings a rebuke to Joab. It's like a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Here is the faithful people. So today, as citizens of God's kingdom, what are we going to do? 
are we going to harbor rebellion? Are we going to harbor Sheba within our walls, in our hearts? Or like this city, are we going to cut the head off any rebellion that seeks to rise in our own lives? Stop listening. Stop harboring harboring it. Take our sin. Kill it. Behead it. And promote the peace that King Jesus brings. So this morning as we leave here, we have confidence because of King Jesus that he came and he would crush the heads of our enemies. We have confidence in King Jesus because he came and searched, searched for his bride and he has not left us and he will not leave us. And we have confidence because God's kingdom will stand forever. And if you're a Christian here this morning, then you're part of it. The Bible's remarkable message is that God has promised to establish his kingdom forever and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So citizen this morning, Christian, be faithful. Don't lose heart in whatever, it, it, in whatever you face that seems helpless. Don't lose heart in the midst of sin and brokenness because our God is still working his promises. Just like he was doing here in chapter 20, the promises of chapter 7 were still being worked out. So let us come to our king. Let us see that he is governing. Let us see that he is guarding. Let us see that the kingdom is growing because our king is good. His mercy is sure. His grace is abounding. His love is perfect. His power is limitless. His enemies are defeated. His inheritance is great. His gift is life. What a king. Let us bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, in the midst of the sin and the destruction of chapter 20, we praise you because we can see that you are governing, that you are guarding, and that your kingdom is growing. Father, help us to be faithful citizens of your kingdom that we would honor you and follow you and trust you, that you have not left us, that you watch over us, that you protect us, that you walk with us, that you are not absent from us. Father, help us to bow before you, King of kings, Lord of lords. Help us to praise you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.